And we do serve a great God, don't we? Yes. And why is he great? Well, of course, we sang throughout this morning why God is great. His mercy is more, right? He's also the way that leads to salvation. I mean, those are the truths that we were just uh, worshiping God for, and that is why he is so great in our lives. I want you to bask in his greatness. So often we bask in ourselves and what is going wrong in our lives. We don't bask enough in God's greatness each day. So I want you to take a moment to do that today if you can. We also want to celebrate today because God's on the move in Mexico and Burundi. Uh, the, just this past Saturday, we sent two teams off from the chapel to go serve on short-term mission, and so they are off, and they are going to their respective places to serve God and to further His kingdom. So I'm just going to take a moment to pray for those two teams right now. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that you have given everybody who's on these separate teams. Lord, I pray that you would give them traveling mercy, that they would be able to uh, reach their destinations without any hiccups or any delays or anything like that, Lord, because that's half the battle right now. And so, God, I pray that you would bless them, that they would arrive in their locations, that they would get to serve those whom they are going to serve, that they would reflect and radiate you in those areas. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given them. We, we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, listen, we are going and looking through the book of Acts, if you haven't been with us. And uh, so far, we've seen that God is on the move and that the good news of Jesus is spreading throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And that's exactly what Jesus said would happen in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus had resurrected before he ascended into heaven. He's with his disciples and apostles, and he says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and in Samaria. And so Jesus is commissioning them and saying, listen, you're going to be my witnesses. That is your sole purpose. That is what you have been set apart for in your life. You're going to be my witness in these areas. And guess what? From Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 12, guess what's happened? The gospel has reached where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But it's not just going to stop there because Jesus continues the verse, and the last part of the verse, it says, and to the ends of the earth. And to the ends of the earth. When Jesus said this, I guarantee the disciples and the apostles were very excited for what God is going to do. They knew God could do this. They knew that the good news could reach to the ends of the earth, but I think they had no clue how it was going to happen. They knew God could, but they probably didn't know how, and so there was most likely some distrust in their lives. This is something we all go through in our lives, isn't it? Where we know God can, but we struggle to trust God in the how. We know he can, but we struggle to trust him in the how it's going to happen in our lives. When it comes to the, to the disciples, they had no idea how God was going to reach the ends of the earth. And in fact, they had no idea that he was going to use their greatest foe, a man named Saul. Saul, who in Acts 7 holds the coats of those stoning Stephen, 
Saul in Acts 8, who approves of his execution, then begins to ravage the church. And Saul in Acts 9, who sets his sights on Damascus to continue to ravage the church there. But of course, we already looked in Acts chapter 9, where on his way to Damascus, Saul's life drastically changed, didn't it? On his way to Damascus, Jesus found Saul, cared for Saul so that he could use Saul in his life. So what's, Saul new, what's his new purpose going to be? Well, we see it in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. We've looked at this before. But the Lord said, talking to Ananias at this point, it's a pretty cool chapter if you, don't, if you haven't read it. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentile and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And so God's going to reach the ends of the earth, and, and here in Acts chapter 9, we see God's plan begin to unfold. God's going to use this Saul character, this person who absolutely despises the way, and he's, God's going to use him to take the message of the good news to the Gentiles and to the kings and all the people. And guess what? We jump to Acts 26, and in verses 16 through 18, guess what? Guess where Paul's standing? Well, he's standing before King Agrippa, okay? So, so again, what Jesus said would happen, what God said would happen actually happens. And in Acts 26, verses 16 through 18, we see as Paul is unfolding his conversion story in Acts 9, Paul understands what his purpose is in life. He says, this is Jesus talking to, to Saul, and he says, now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future, and I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles. So there we have purpose. God showed up in Saul's life, transformed him so that he could take the gospel to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they can turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so God chooses to use Saul to then bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Saul understands this, that this is his new purpose in life. There's two things we can tell from this passage. First, Saul knew that he was set apart. Saul knew that he was set apart to be a servant and a witness of Jesus Christ where God wants to use him. That phrase, set apart, means to like set aside for a specific purpose. We all do that in our lives. There are certain things or people that we have in our lives that we set aside for a specific purpose. And so one thing I like to do is if I'm making brownies, I like to set aside the bowl so that I can, you know, scrape it out at the end and my kids can't get to it, okay? <laughs> we set things aside for, for specific purposes, for we have a plan for it. You may do that with money. We set certain money aside for a specific plan or purpose. I mean, it's a concept we understand, and that's exactly what God does for us. Saul has been set aside for a specific plan and purpose for God's advancement and kingdom. And we know that Paul knows that he's set apart because guess what? Romans 1.1, look at it. This letter is from Paul. This is literally the beginning of the letter to the Romans. 
This letter from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. That phrase sent out, I like, better translated as set apart. That's other translation. He understands that he has been set apart to preach the good news, which means he understands that this is his purpose in life. This is what God has asked of him in his life. He also says in Galatians 1, 15 and 16, he says, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When did God reveal his son to him? Acts chapter nine, right? Where Jesus shows up on the road to Damascus. Do you see how it all interconnects here? And yet we try to compartmentalize the Bible, and yet it all flows together. And so Paul understands that he has been set apart. And I love that he says, before I was born, he's leaning into and and saying, it's nothing I did. It's literally by the grace of God alone that I have been set apart for this purpose in my life. You see, Saul knew that he was set apart. He also wants us to understand, and we learn in that, that one passage in Acts 26, He was set apart so that others could know that they were set apart as well. So he wasn't just set apart to go do his own thing and live the life he wanted to live. He was set apart for a very specific purpose so that others could know they were set apart. Do you see that? He was sent out to preach the good news. He was sent out to proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Like he understands exactly his purpose in life. You see, when it comes to our life, we need to understand a few things as well. We need to understand that God has chosen us. He has set us apart for his specific plan and purpose in our lives. And so we need to lean into that today, that we have been set apart. This brings us to Acts chapter 13, where we see it's the beginning of Saul's journey of understanding that God has him set apart for a specific purpose and plan in his life. And what we're going to learn today as well is that God has set us apart to accomplish his purpose and will, not our own. Because that's where the tension lies, doesn't it? This is where the tension is in life, where a lot of times we want to live our lives for our purpose and our will, and yet, if you want to faithfully follow God, he has a purpose and will for our life as well. And so we feel this tension all the time. And so we need to lean into the idea that God has set us apart to accomplish his purpose and will, and it's not going to be easy, okay? I hate to break it to you. It's not going to be easy. We're going to see that in Acts chapter 13. So let's jump right in. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Acts 13, 1 through 3. It says, Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod, Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. 
Here we see the staff of the church at Antioch. So this is like the leaders of the church. They're all worshiping and fasting together. At this time, this church in, in Antioch is thriving. And from what we can tell, it's very missionally minded because it seems like they're worshiping and fasting so that God would reveal to them what they should do next in the life of their church. That, uh, and then we see through that worship and fasting, that the Holy Spirit reveals to them their next step. That Barnabas and Saul have been set apart. That's what that word appoint there in other translations, it it says set apart Barnabas and Saul for me because they've been set apart for a very specific purpose. God has called them to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. That's what they've been set apart for. So they continue to worship and fast, and they all understand at the same time that this is what they should do. Can you imagine being in that prayer meeting? Have you been to a Wednesday night prayer meeting before? Can you imagine just being with people, praying, worshiping, and all at the same time, it seems like they all got the same idea that Barnabas and Saul were to be sent out of the church But you know what's amazing is that it would have been a lot more comfortable for everyone if Barnabas and Saul stayed in Antioch to continue what they were doing there. It would have been so much more comfortable for them to just stay put. Barnabas was the great encourager of this church. Have you ever lost someone, an encouraging person in your life? There's a huge gaping hole if that person's not encouraging you anymore. That's what they're losing. They're losing the great encourager. They're also going to lose in this moment Saul, the man who who had this amazing story of how God showed up to him. He was against God, and now he's for God, and then he's going to bring the gospel everywhere. These are the two people that are ready to go. It would have been a lot more comfortable if they would have stayed. We have to remember that they also had a choice in the matter, just much like we do. They had a choice to either obey or not obey God's desire for them in their lives. You see, when it comes to God's will, there are two sides of the coin. There's first, there's God's will of decree. What what he has decreed can't be thwarted. It can't be undone. It's what he's decreed because he's the God of the universe. He's the creator of the world. And then the other side of the coin is the God's will of desire, what he desires from you and me in our lives. And a lot of the times it's obedience, right? It's obedience. God's will of desire can be disobeyed. It can be thwarted because of our choices in the matter. And so they had a choice. They could stay in Antioch. They could stay in this thriving church. Or they could be faithful and obedient and follow what God has for them in their lives. When it comes to our lives, God has set us apart for his purpose to advance his kingdom. You need to understand that today. And we know this because of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. It says, but you, and Peter's talking to the dispersed believers throughout Asia, and that's kind of where Paul and Barnabas are going to be heading here. Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? Why are we God's chosen race? Why are we God's chosen people? Why are we his possession? So that we may proclaim the excellencies 
of him who has called us out of darkness into marvelous light. You remember in Acts 26 that what Saul was going to do, he was going to go out into the world and bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Why? So they could go from darkness to what? Light. That's our purpose. We've been chosen. We've been called. We've been set apart so that we can proclaim the excellencies of God so that people can go from darkness to light. And then it says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, through Jesus Christ, we have been set apart. We have been given a new purpose in life to proclaim the excellencies of God who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's given us all different roles. He's given all of us different purposes within his kingdom. But we've all been set apart. We all have a purpose, a plan, just like Barnabas and Saul did. Notice how the other guys didn't get called to go. They were called to stay. But Barnabas and Saul were called to go. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what has God set you apart for? Like, what has God set you apart for? What is your role in which God has asked you to play in his kingdom for his purpose and for his will? It's an amazing question to ask yourself. So we can't read the whole chapter 13 because it's long. It is wild, though, so you should absolutely go read it today, okay? But I'm just going to kind of recap kind of where we're heading, and, and we're going to go there. So I'm going to just sum everything up for you today. So Acts 13, 4 through 13 kind of is literally the beginning of uh, Barnabas and Saul's journey. They set off on their journey, and I would assume they're really excited at this point because God had, had been moving in Antioch, and they're like, surely he's going to continue to do the same thing wherever we're going. And so the first stop for them in Acts 13 is the island of Cyprus, which is actually where Barnabas is from. And so I like to imagine things that aren't true. Uh, I, I feel like Barnabas was like, I miss my mom's cooking, so let's go to Cyprus, okay? That's nowhere in the Bible, so don't don't take my word for it. But they do head to Cyprus, which is his hometown, his home island. And we're told that they go around the whole island proclaiming the excellencies of God who has called them out of darkness into marvelous light with very indifferent responses. <laughs> like nothing happens. The response was indifference. People didn't care. We're not told that there were tons of converts. We're not told that God moved mightily. We're told that they just went around the whole island. So obviously nothing really great happened. It's not a very good start for them on their journey at this point. But they didn't leave the island without any converts. Before they left, a proconsul named Sergius Paulus believes in Jesus. But he only believes in Jesus after Barnabas and Saul go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Bar-Jesus, a self-proclaimed wizard who was opposing them. And so they have this battle where Saul ends up rebuking this Bar-Jesus. He goes blind in the moment, and this proconsul's like, that was amazing. I believe you, and he believes in Jesus. And so they finally had their first convert on the island of Cyprus. Also, mind you, very, very quickly in Acts 13, verse 9, uh, Luke, who writes this letter, kind of very quickly says, oh, and also, just to let you know, Saul is also called Paul, and the rest of the book of Acts, guess what? He's called Paul. 
And so because he doesn't expound upon it, I'm not going to either, okay? And so I'm going to say Paul from this point on as well, okay? So after the island of Cyprus, they have this awesome showdown. They have this convert in, in the proconsul who has some leadership. And so after that, they set sail for Asia Minor, where Paul's from. And so it's funny how they kind of go to their own home areas. Uh, but apparently, something was too much for one of their other companions. And we're told that John Mark leaves them to return to Jerusalem. We can't get into that story. That's a pretty amazing story in and of itself. And so, just to recap first, the beginning of their journey is this whole uh, journey to Cyprus where there's all it is is indifference. Uh, they had a battle with a wizard, and they had one convert, and one of their companions left. It's not a very good start, is it? I don't think that's what they were expecting in the moment. I don't think that's what they, like, God had for them. They're like, where is God? And so you can almost ask the idea, like, what would you do next? I think a lot of us would quit, to be honest. I think a lot of us would quit, and here's why, because a lot of people quit on God when they meet resistance. I want you to think about that for a minute. A lot of people quit on God because they feel resistance in their life now. We hit resistance and we think that it's bad or it's not good for us, but in fact, resistance is actually pretty good, isn't it? Have you guys ever done physical therapy before? If you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When I was 21, I blew out my knee. I had two surgeries and stuff like that, and I had to go to physical therapy, and it was in physical therapy where I had to do resistance training on my knee, and why? Why do we have to go through resistance training? Because the resistance helps the knee get stronger so that it can do what it was created to do, and yet... Often in our spiritual lives, when we hit resistance, we do what? We quit. If you've ever done physical therapy and you, and you didn't think, I want to quit this right now, you're crazy, okay? Because it hurts, doesn't it? You're like, my knee can't go any further than that. And they're like, yeah, it can. And I was like, no, you're not. You have no idea. This, my, this is my knee. I can feel it. You can't. You see, so often we hit resistance and we want to quit. And yet, resistance is actually what makes us stronger and it prepares us for what we were created to do or set apart to do. You understand that? Resistance makes us stronger. And because of this, Barnabas and Saul do exactly what each one of us should do. They stay the course. They stay the course. Even through resistance, they stay the course because they understand that this is exactly what God has called them to do, even though it doesn't feel good. So we move on. They travel north to Pisidian Antioch. I should have had maps for you. It would have been way cooler. Uh, so they travel north to Pisidian Antioch, and this is where God truly begins to move in Acts chapter 13. And so they get to Pisidian Antioch, and they show up in the synagogue, which is what, what Paul does throughout the rest of his missionary journeys. He goes right to the Jews first in the, in the synagogue where they are. And so they, were, they show up, and they start listening just like normal people. And then we're told that the rulers of the synagogue pass them a note, like it's fourth grade. 
Like, do you like us? Yes, no? No. No. They pass him a no, and we're told they, they pass him a no, and what it says in there, it says, you have an encourage, if you have an encouragement for the people, say it. I can only imagine that Paul and Barnabas look at each other like, okay, here, here we go, right? Because they do have an encouragement. Because at this point, the, the, the difference between the Jewish people and the way is what? The resurrection of Jesus, and so they show up, they're sitting down, they're listening, and they're probably thinking like, okay, what's going to happen next? And then they get this note, and they're like, all right, this is it. This is our opportunity in life. And that shows us that when we stay the course, you know what usually happens? Opportunity follows. When we stay the course, when we, when we grow stronger through the resistance, we stay the course, opportunity usually follows. I'm not going to promise you that, but it usually does. And so... They stand up, and Paul, being the bold man he is, he stands up and he preaches about the resurrection of Jesus, probably not what they were expecting. He preached about how the God of the Israel has brought to the world the Savior, Jesus Christ, as he promised he would do in the Old Testament. It's a pretty remarkable uh, sermon. You should go read it in Acts 13. And because of what Paul did, because he took advantage of this opportunity, many Jews and Gentiles put their faith in Jesus. God was on the move. God was working. And he was working so much so that they said, hey, we want to hear you again next week. So they're invited back the next Sabbath day, and that's where it gets super interesting. So that's where we're going to jump into the verses. So look what happens in verses 44 through 45. So then, so, so remember, tons of Jews and Gentiles believed in Christ. They were invited back the next Sabbath day, and here we're, here's where we are. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. Can you just feel the energy in this? They come and preach. No one's expecting them. They preach this. People believe. And now other people are interested because of what they had said. And so almost the whole city turned out to the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Because of the large crowd, the Jews were very jealous, and they begin to slander and argue with Paul. They're probably slandering who he is and what he's done, but Paul and Barnabas were unfazed. You know what they did? They spoke out boldly. That's verse 36. It says, then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, 46. So they, they were being slandered. They were being argued with. But they didn't back away. They didn't shy away. They, they didn't become ashamed of who Jesus was. You know what they did? They spoke out boldly. They spoke out boldly the word of the Lord, we're told. And I love that, that they spoke out boldly the word of the Lord. They didn't defend themselves. It's not like they were being slandered, so they switched to only think about themselves in the moment. They knew this was their opportunity, so they continued to speak out boldly for the, the word of the Lord. They spoke out boldly that the gospel is for everyone, and so they were preaching to the Gentiles here, and, and anyone who believes in Jesus can receive the forgiveness of sins. And because they spoke out boldly, the Gentiles began rejoicing and glorifying God and believed and received eternal life through Christ. And so more and more people were coming to know Christ in this city, but this boldness leads to persecution. And that's what we're going to see. This is going to be a trend throughout uh, Acts, the rest of the book of Acts, where Paul just kind of goes into these little cities, speaks out boldly, and then persecution follows. And so then the Jews stirred up the influential, influential religious women. I want to know who those women are, right? They must have been really strong women. And the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. 
So they got this mob going after them. They had to run out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The persecution came from devout Jewish women and men, but they continued to stay the course. Instead of quitting, they shake the dust from their feet, which is a public protest against all those people who rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason they do that is because in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus teaches the apostles to do that. If, if they don't receive you, shake the dust from, from your, your feet and go. All right, just, just go. They've rejected the gospel, and so that's exactly what they do. And so uh, they shake the dust, but they do it all with what? You see it out there? With joy. They go through all of this with joy in their heart. All of it. Joy in their heart. Through thick and thin, Paul and Barnabas maintain an unflinching devotion to God's purpose and God's will, even though it was not easy. They were able to leave Pisidian Antioch with joy because they stayed the course and they didn't quit at the first sign of resistance. They were able to leave Antioch with joy because they spoke boldly the good news and people came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They were able to leave Antioch with joy because they found their joy in their Lord, not in themselves or their circumstance. This is where many of us go wrong, isn't it? A lot of us strive for joy, don't we? We all want to have joy in life. And in those moments, those joyful moments of life, you can't beat them. That's why we want that joy. And yet, a lot of times, we seek that joy in us, ourselves, and our circumstances. And when we fail and our circumstances fail, guess what? We live as people with no joy. And yet, joy can be had if you put your joy or find your joy in the right person. They found their joy in the Lord instead of their circumstances. And that joy in the Lord gave them their strength to continue, didn't it? Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's what gets us through those hard circumstances. It's what gets us through those failures. And you know what I love about this? It's all circular. We're going to see that in a minute. It's all circular. When we have joy in our hearts, it's going to help us to do what? Stay the course. When we have joy in the Lord, it helps us stay the course. When we stay the course, we speak boldly. When we speak boldly and we, we, we don't have to feel ashamed of, of failing and we continue on, guess what? We have joy in the Lord and it's just going to continue on. It's circular in our lives. So they found joy in the Lord. So I, I just want to wrap back around here. Just as we conclude today, God has set us apart to accomplish his purposes and will, not our own. That's where many of us get tripped up. So I want you to think about in your life, oh, and also it's not going to be easy, okay? Like, it's going to be difficult. We all know that. We've all been through tough situations in our lives. We all understand that life is not going to be easy. We have to expect it. When you expect it, it changes everything. Uh, my, one of my sons, my two, he's almost two-year-old son, had a little wooden fork in his hand the other day. And he, he was sitting on my lap, and you know what? I don't know how he got the fork. It just happened. And, and he went to hit my face. I didn't expect it. I threw my back out for a week, okay? If I expected it, I could have just stopped it. But I didn't expect it, and it 
destroyed my life, okay? <laughs> it's not going to be easy. Just expect that. But what does God want to use you for, for his purpose and his will? That's what we're trying to see in our lives. That's what we want to understand. God, what is your will for me? What do you desire for me in this life, in my context? There's so many different options that God could use you for, either inside these walls, outside these walls, in your families, with your friends, at work. I mean, I can list those, but you know what I'm talking about. We all have different contexts. We all have different influences. We all have different gifts. We all have been created differently, but yet, through Christ, we all have the same purpose. And that's to serve him faithfully to advance God's kingdom in this dark world so that people can see and experience this idea that we've been called from, from darkness into God's marvelous light, that there is light to be had and that it's marvelous. And so what has God set you apart for? What is your purpose? What is your will? I'm not asking you to go and move to Zimbabwe and, and leave your families. I'm, I'm talking about your context right now, today. What has God set you apart for? And as you journey on this, remember, it's not going to be easy. So then how do we get through those hard times? Well, we have to follow the example of Barnabas and Paul, don't we? We have to follow the example. So first, stay the course. So often people are all jacked up, ready to go. This is what God has for me. And then they feel this first resistance. And they're like, oh, apparently that wasn't it. Yeah, it probably was. You're just a sissy and you just backed off, right? Like, like stay the course. Continue on. Push through the resistance because resistance is going to make us stronger for what we were created for. Stay the course. And when you stay the course, speak out boldly. I, I love this idea of speaking out boldly. You know what? In Ephesians 6, Paul says to the Ephesians, he says, pray for me that I will be bold. So, which says... There's times in Paul's life where he wasn't bold, where he needed that, or he lacked it. He's like, pray for me. I need this boldness. And, and in fact, there's a deficiency here. I don't have the boldness all the time that I need. Speak boldly. In other words, be confident in what God has called you to do. Be confident that this is exactly what God has for you. Stay the course, speak boldly, and then this is, this is imperative for those other two. Find joy in the Lord and not in yourself. Find joy in the Lord and not in yourself because joy in the Lord is our strength to stay the course and to speak boldly. Stay the course, speak boldly, and find joy in the Lord. So many people live life with no joy. And it's sad, isn't it? It's sad to experience that. But there is joy to be had in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And I love Acts 13. It's the beginning of this, this journey, this, this mission that you have Paul and Barnabas on. God, that you just want to advance your kingdom. You set them apart for your purpose and your will, Lord. You do the same thing for us. We are your chosen people, a royal priesthood, your holy nation, a people for your own possession, 
Lord, help us to proclaim you, your marvelous light in this dark world, right in our context, right where you have us today. And so God, open our eyes, open our hearts to the opportunities that are right before us. This is for your glory and for the sake of others. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.